0: So if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. There's a big difference between the legal status of being a child of God and the actual experience of being a child of God. So are you experiencing God as your father in your life? Do you know God's heart for you and towards you as your heavenly father and do you delight in in god's delight over you as his child so today's passage we're looking at galatians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6 when the set time had fully come god sent his son born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So let's pray once again this morning. God, I pray that right now that you would remind us of our status before you, that we are declared righteous in Jesus Christ, not because of our own righteousness, but because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But not only that, you would remind us that we are loved by you, that we are your sons and daughters in Christ, and that you purchased us with the blood of your son, so that we can experience what it's truly like to be children of God. Lord, if we are not experiencing that in our, in our lives, if we struggle to accept that reality, Lord, I pray that this morning, through the power of your word, that you would break every lie of the evil one, and that you would fill our hearts with a greater sense of your love, that you would fill us, Lord, with a greater sense of the reality that we are loved by the Heavenly Father, And we get to spend eternity with you. And that truth would set us free. Set us free, Lord, from from trying to prove ourselves. From trying to gain people's applause and acceptance. From trying to prove our worth to our parents and to our friends and to our family and to our coworkers. That we will be able to rest in our identity in Christ. And out of the overflow of your love, to be able to extend your love to those around us. So God, this is only possible by your spirit, through your word. So God, I pray that you will be the one to preach, preach the gospel, preach your truth into each person's heart this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the title of today's message is Redeemed and Adopted. Redeemed and Adopted. We're not only redeemed from our sins, Out of eternal condemnation to eternal life. But we have a new relationship with God. So let's go through this passage verse by verse. Looking now at verse 4. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God's eternally Begotten Son. Now this does not mean that Jesus became God's Son in the Incarnation. Some of us think that the reason why Jesus is called the Son of God is because he had a birth experience. Because he was born in flesh in this world, therefore he is now the Son of God. But no, Jesus himself says that he is the Son. He has always been the Son, even before the Incarnation. Jesus has always existed eternally as God's son. So what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus was born at some point before the incarnation? No. Jesus is fully God. He has always existed. So that's why theologians say eternally begotten son. It doesn't make sense to our finite minds. How can you be a son, be begotten, and be eternal, and not have a time where you didn't exist but Jesus is fully God so the reason why Jesus is called the son of God is to explain the relationship between a father and a son it's not that the human reality of father and son or parent and child and then we look back and say oh that's how we can understand God It's the other way around the father and the son that relationship of love has always existed and therefore God creates This concept of parent and child to reflect the actual dynamic that he has experienced within father and son for all of eternity. So this also means that Jesus is fully God. When we say Jesus is the son of God. You see the son of any animal, let's say son of a bird, is a bird. The son of a cat is a cat. The son of a human is a human. The son of God is God. And because Jesus is God, again, he is eternal. Jesus was not made. He is self-existing within the Godhead of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Experiencing eternal, perfect love and fellowship. But 2,000 years ago, the eternal Son of God took on flesh. So look again at verse 4. We look at the next phrase. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the greatest mystery that God entered into creation as a human being. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is now forever one person with two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. For all of eternity now, when you see Jesus face to face, he's going to be fully God and fully man. He has forever humbled himself to take on flesh for the rest of eternity so that he could save us, so that he could relate to us, so that he could be with us forever. Now, why does it matter that Jesus has to have two natures, full God, full man, divine human nature? It's because only someone who is fully God and fully man is qualified to be the one true mediator between God and man. There's only one person that can bridge the gap between God and humanity. And that's Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the next phrase in verse 4. But When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus, as a full human being, was born Jewish. He was born as a Jew. He grew up under the Mosaic law. He read the law, he memorized the law, he became subject to the law, and he perfectly obeyed the law. Jesus is the only human being throughout human history to ever be found sinless under God's law. So why did Jesus have to submit to the law, be subject under God's law, and perfectly obey God's law? We look at the next verse, in verse 5a, to redeem those under the law. So this is what we talked about last week, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is substitutionary atonement. It's the great exchange that Jesus perfectly obeyed all of God's commands in our place, on our behalf as our representative. And he went to that cross to die in our place as our substitute, to pay the penalty for our sins. And it's this great exchange where Jesus takes all of our sins and we get all of Jesus' righteousness, that we can be made right before God, that we can be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But the good news doesn't just end there. The good news is not just justification. The legal declaration that you are made right before God. That's only the beginning of the good news. There's an even higher blessing than justification or redemption being purchased by God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. The question is, why? Were we redeemed? What is the purpose of our redemption? We look at verse 5b. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Now some of us might be thinking, why does it only say sonship and not daughtership? Is Paul being sexist here? Sonship is emphasized here, not only here, in other parts of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Because in ancient cultures, only sons were considered legal heirs. Only sons had the right to inheritance after the father dies. So far from being sexist, Paul is now saying that males and females are of equal worth in Christ. And males and females, sons of God and daughters of God, now receive the full inheritance rights, the full legal rights as children of God. So this this theological theme of adoption is so grand, it's so weighty, it's so simple, but it's hard to explain the true significance of this theological topic. So I'm going to need a lot of help here. There's going to be a lot of quotes. So follow along. If you don't like quotes, uh, forgive me for this week. But I hope that these quotes will help too, to give us a better understanding of our adoption. So look at what J.I. Packer writes. J.I. Packer is one of the most famous theologians of the 20th century. Uh, one of the most popular Christian books of all time is called Knowing God, it's a collection of his essays. One of his essays is called Sons of God, and it, it talks about adoption. He writes, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. That justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the Gospel is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. But in adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship. He establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the Judge through justification is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father through adoption is even greater. You see justification is a legal term. It's a courtroom setting. It means to be declared righteous. That if you've committed a crime, if you've ran a red light this morning and the police officer pulls you over, gives you a ticket, and says, if you want to fight this ticket, you've got to show up to court. So you go to the court and you want to fight this ticket, you explain your case, and the judge will either say guilty or not guilty. To be justified means to be declared not guilty before God our judge. But not only not guilty, but righteous. Righteous enough that we get to spend eternity with God. So in justification, God is portrayed as our judge. And this is true. God is our judge. He is our final judge. And all human beings will be judged by God on the last day through his son, Jesus Christ, when he returns. But adoption is a family term adoption portrays God as our father not only as our judge which is also true that in our union with Jesus Christ when we become one with Christ we are one with the eternal son of God because we are now one with the eternal son of God we are now called sons and daughters of God God is our Heavenly Father. J.R. Packer, he writes again in that same essay, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thoughts of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship, prayers, and whole outlook on life, it means they do not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you understand the Christian message? That it's not just about having a ticket into heaven. It is the only religion in the entire world where you are gained access into a relationship with God Or you can call him Father, not just Sovereign Lord, not just Creator, not just Master. He's my Father. Some of us grew up with less than ideal earthly fathers. Perhaps they were abusive, perhaps they were absent, perhaps they were angry, perhaps they were hard to please. You come home with your report card, you get B+, and he says, where's the A? Or you get an A-, minus. he says, where's the A+. Or you're you're in a piano recital, and you're expecting your father to say, I'm so proud of you, great job. He says, ah, you made one mistake. Better practice 10 times harder next time. A perfect father is perfect in both love, and authority you see without one or the other is going to lead to a lot of harm towards his children without love a father will become a dictator cold strict without authority a father will become overly permissive no principles no boundaries, no guidance, no protection. Without either love or authority, a father will become uninvolved, simply absent, detached, no real relationship. But with both love and authority, a father will become present and principled authoritative and affectionate flexible while setting necessary boundaries maybe you grew up with an earthly father that was less than ideal and now it's skewing whether you realize it or not it's skewing your view of our heavenly father in our last discipleship group Session we were talking about this topic and Many of us didn't realize that there is a correlation between the way I see my earthly father and the way I see my heavenly father But of course there's a correlation Because again the whole idea concept of earthly fathers came from God because God is father so he created the model of family a father and child To portray the relationship that God has with His Son. So of course, if you grew up with an earthly father that did not model the heart of God, the love and the authority of God, it will skew your view of God, whether you realize it or not. It will subconsciously affect the way you relate to God. Maybe you see God as this strict and cold judge. Never good enough. Or maybe you see God as only your buddy, your friend, overly permissive, never setting boundaries. Maybe you just see God as distant and absent. He doesn't care about my life. Yeah, I know He created the world, He created my life, but He has no desire to get to know me personally. That's why I have no desire to connect with Him. Where do these thoughts come from? Most likely, it is shaped by your experience with your earthly father. But God, our perfect Father, is perfect in both love and authority. Look at this quote by David Platt in the book, Follow Me, that we go through in our discipleship group. He writes, God, our Father, delights in forgiving us, delights in providing for us, delights in leading us, protecting us. Sustaining us, comforting us, directing us, purifying us, disciplining us, giving to us, calling us, and promising us His inheritance. God on high experiences pleasure in doing all of these things for us as His children. Do you believe in this this morning? That God delights in being your father. He delights in caring for you. He delights in providing for you. He delights in directing you. He delights in loving you. Many of us have a hard time believing this. We might not admit it. But in our hearts. We don't fully accept it. We don't fully believe it. But The Galatian Christians. 2,000 years ago, they also wrestled with this. They were thinking, am I really a child of God? Does God really accept me as His child and see me as His child? Because these Judaizers, these false teachers are saying that we're not children of God. That we have to earn our place. We have to be circumcised. We have to adhere perfectly to the Mosaic Law. Then and only then... Will we be part of God's family, accepted and loved as his children? And that's why Paul is so angry in this letter to the Galatians, what these false teachers are teaching. That's why Paul writes in verse 6a, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Again, Paul is not being sexist here. He could have wrote, because you are his sons and daughters, but he writes, because you are his sons. Again, he's using the word sons here very deliberately because of the ancient understanding of inheritance rights. Both male and female are now heirs of God in Christ. He wrote earlier in Galatians chapter 3 that in Christ there is neither male nor female. Gentile or Jew, slave or free, we are all one in Christ. We are all equal now in Christ. But why does he write the Spirit of his Son? He could have written the Spirit of Christ. He could have written the Spirit of God. He could have said the Holy Spirit, all of which are true. But why does he specifically write the Spirit of his Son? It's so that we would have the assurance... That we indeed are children of God. Look at this quote by John Stotts, another famous theologian in the 20th century. He writes, God's purpose was not only to secure our sonship by His Son, but to assure us of it by His Spirit. He sent His Son that we might have the status of sonship, And He sent His Spirit that we might have an experience of it. And the way that He assures us of our Sonship is not by some spectacular gift or sign, but by the quiet inward witness of the Spirit as we pray. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, especially in times of prayer, The Holy Spirit gives you the experience, the subjective experience of the reality that you are indeed God's child and God is your father. You not only believe that that you're a child of God legally, theoretically, but you experience that. What it's actually like to be a child of God in that moment in the presence of your heavenly Father. Let me give you an illustration. This is by a famous preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher in England in the 20th century. He writes, imagine a father and a son walking down the streets on a sunny day. Now that son knows that this is my father. I'm walking down the street with my father. He's secure in his relationship. He knows that his father loves him. He knows that his father will protect him. He has nothing to worry about. He's not worried about strangers. He's not worried about cars. His dad is there. But Then all of a sudden the father picks up his son and puts the son on his shoulders and starts spinning around And says, son, do you know how much I love you? And the son says, yes, yes, daddy. I know how much you love me. You see, there's a difference in that moment of walking hand in hand down the street. And I know that this is my father. Versus the father picking the child up on his shoulders. There's an experiential difference in that moment. Where your heart is full And you say, I know, I know for fact and experience in my heart, my Father loves me. When was the last time you had that subjective experience in your heart? That my Father in heaven, He loves me. He absolutely loves me. When was the last time you subjectively felt God's arms wrapping around you, so to speak? Him holding you. Embracing you. Our perfect heavenly father. He wants you to not only believe. That you are his child legally. He wants you to experience. The actual reality of that. Every single day. That's why Paul writes. Verse 6b. The spirit. Who calls out abba father or in the esv it says the spirit crying abba father abba is another word for father it's it's actually in aramaic it means father in aramaic this was the native language of jesus jesus when he prayed would say abba father now abba is not exactly equivalent to the English word Daddy. Some of you may have been taught that Abba means Daddy. It's not quite. It is similar, but it's not quite. Because when you're an infant, and the first word that you speak as an infant most likely is Daddy, if English is their first language. I'm sorry for the moms out there. Uh, Statistically, I think it is Daddy because Daddy is just easier to say than Mom. But the difference is, when you become an adult child, all of us here, you don't call your father anymore daddy. Unless you do. If you do, there's no judgment. I know some of you might. Um, But most of us, we don't call our father daddy anymore. That's where the difference is. So a better parallel is actually comparing it to the Korean word for father. I was talking with Jamie a few weeks ago about how you, what do you say, what do you call your father-in-law. And in Korean, it's pretty simple because there's different levels of respect and authority so we can choose which term to use. So in Korean, there's three different words for father. I'm really bad at Korean, so if you're Korean, don't judge my accent. (laughs) But there's three different words for father. There's which is the most formal way of saying father. I know some of my friends; they are still forced to call their father Abonim. It's like a very, very like old, majestic authority figure. The second way, second term, is Aboji. It's a little bit less formal, but still pretty formal. But the most common and most personal way to call father in Korean is Appa. That's the first word that a child will say when they're born, when they turn one. The first word that will come out of their mouth most likely is Abba. And also as an adult child, myself included, I call my father right now Abba. It's the most personal. It's the most intimate. It's the most close in relationship out of those three terms for father. And because we are now in Christ, we are one with Christ, just as Jesus called his father Abba. We now can call our Heavenly Father, Abba. We have been united to the eternal Son of God. We are now sons and daughters of God. The exact same status, the exact same closeness that Jesus has with His Father. We are invited into that relationship. So regarding this phrase here, who calls out, or again in the ESV it says, crying out, Abba Father, Look at what John Calvin writes. John Calvin uh, was a 16th century Protestant reformer, one of the great um, giants of the Christian faith. He says, Calling out, Abba Father, expresses great boldness, uncertainty with regards to our relationship with God, keeps our mouth half shut, so that our half-broken words can hardly escape from our stammering tongue. Crying, on the contrary, is a sign of certainty and unwavering confidence in God as our Father. Just another analogy comes to my mind from the book uh, Prayer by Tim Keller, which we're going to go through in our discipleship pathway as well. There's only one person in the entire world that can barge into Bill Gates' door, room, at three or four in the morning. Just walk right in and Bill Gates won't be angry. Who is it gonna be? Well, his wife, or I I think they're divorced, right? So whoever he's living with, if it's a wife or a girlfriend, yes, they're already gonna be in the room. Who's allowed to barge into the room at three or four in the morning and Bill Gates will not get angry? His children. Only a child can walk into the parents' room at three or four in the morning and the parents will say, come, come next to me. Are you are scared? Or you want water? Let me get it for you. Okay, now go back to sleep in your room. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone else, you come in his room at three or four in the morning, he's going to say, I'm going to call the police. Like, get out of my room. You're trespassing. It's the same with us. Only children of God has full access to, to our Heavenly Father at any time of the day and He will welcome us with open arms. When you're filled with the Spirit especially in times of prayer you become bold you become confident because you know who you are praying to. I am praying to my Abba Father who hears me, who loves me. When you're not sure about your relationship with God I don't really know if He's my loving father. I don't really know if he sees me as his child. You're not going to be confident in your prayers. You're going to stammer in your prayers. You're going to be hesitant to pray at all. I don't know how God really sees me. Imagine that a three-year-old boy, let's just say he's Korean for the sake of this uh, analogy. So this Korean three-year-old boy goes to the shopping mall with his father. They go to Fairview Mall. They're walking in the mall. The father says, hey, you want to go um, see if there's any toys? I don't know where there's there's toys in Fairview Mall. Let's say, I don't know if there's winners there. Okay, let's go to winners. They go to winners. They're looking at toys, and the son starts playing with all the toys. And then the father, he sees a clearance rack. He says, oh, well, let me just check this clearance rack. Just stay right here. Father turns his back, looks through all of the clothes. And in a split second, he turns around and... The son has run, ran away. He can't find his son anymore. Now, if you're that three-year-old son, and after five, ten minutes goes by, you realize, oh, where, where's, where's my daddy? I'm lost. I, I can't find him anymore. How do you think that son is going to react in that moment? Is he going to start whispering? Like, daddy, if you know where I am, please find me. I'm right here and I'll, I'll fight. No, he's going to cry out. He's going to call out loud. He's going to literally physically have tears in his eyes and a loud voice. He's going to say, Appa, Appa. And just keep yelling, crying out until his father hears him and finds him. And says, you know, where were you? I needed you right now see, that's the way that we can pray to our God because of our relationship with Him. We're not only redeemed, we're adopted. You can call out to God at any time of the day. Abba, Father, I need you right now. Where are you? Help me. That's the way we can pray, and that's the way we should pray as children of God. The exact same way that Jesus prayed to his father, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, the nights before, the night when he's being betrayed, just hours before he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's praying, he's praying with tears and blood and sweat. He says, Abba Father, Abba Father, I need your help. I've never faced a trial like this before where I'm going to be separated from you on that cross. If possible, please take this cup away from me. But not my will. Your will be done. That's the kind of relationship and the kind of conversations that Jesus had with his Father every single day. So I want to close with one more quote by Philip Graham Riken. He is currently the president of Wheaton College, a Christian undergrad. He writes, even after we become God's sons and daughters, we sometimes forget our father's love. We start thinking of ourselves as slaves rather than as sons, which grieves our father's heart. Adopted children often wonder if their parents really love them. And of course their parents do love them, so it brings them great anguish when their children refuse to simply rest in their affection. Like any good parent, God wants His children to receive and to rest in His fatherly love. He wants His adopted children to know for certain that they are beloved for this reason has sent his spirit into our hearts. So this morning, if you are struggling with accepting the fact that God loves you, or you haven't experienced that subjective feeling of God's love for you in years, maybe never in your Christian journey, that is the reason why God has sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit of his Son, so that we will be assured that we are sons and daughters of God. And this morning we can ask for the Holy Spirit to once again fill us, convict us, assure us of the love of our Heavenly Father, that we are beloved and we will be beloved for all of eternity. Thanks for listening to the Redeemed Community Church Toronto podcast. If you enjoyed the message, please subscribe and we'll let you know when a new episode is available.